Get your snack and beverage of choice ready. It's time to gather around the trash fires for a tabletop role-playing story. I'm your host, Beck Andrew Evans. Tabletop characters make decisions ranging from questionable to horrific in pursuit of their goals, especially when a table values going for the interesting route in roleplay. It becomes trash fires all the way down. My current and main running story for this podcast is the misadventures of the cohort from the Deviant the Renegades Chronicle I've been playing in since early 2021, and I play Jerry. For those of you unfamiliar with Deviant, it's a TTRPG about people who were formerly human, but were irreparably changed in traumatic ways to the point their very souls broke and they became something other. They seek vengeance on those who made them, those who hunt them, and those who seek to exploit them for what they are and will never leave them be. As such, this podcast will feature heavy themes and content throughout. There's an overall content warning for language, violence, criminality, homelessness, substance use, human experimentation, cults and religious extremism, mentioned torture, kidnapping, implied incest and incest-related comments, and abusive relationships. On episodes where there's a new content warning or a particularly notable instance of one of these, I'll call it out. Hope y'all enjoy hearing about my cohort's antics and stumbling headfirst into the mysteries of the world as much as I have. Broken, I'm feeling broken when I'm not near you. Green Country Calcination, Episode 2 The Fellowship of the Ward The new cohort only had a week before Camille was going to come back to take them to the next stage of experiments, and, if Patty was correct, no matter what happened to them there, they'd never be seen again. During the past few days, they'd gotten to work on various forms of information gathering to plan their escape. Madison took point on the plan to break into room 164 that Dr. Werner told them totally definitely don't break into, wink. She'd observed it was, despite seeming to be some sort of supply closet, the most guarded spot in the ward. She'd managed to figure out when the hall the room's on had barely any activity and gathered the nascent cohort for their mission. Because they were on their last week on the ward, they were able to convince the staff to get them some special items. Madison got a pair of her ballet shoes sent to her from her friend, and Jerry got a deck of tarot cards and a book to interpret them. They finally let her have paper. They meet at the couches in the common area to not draw suspicion. It's just after dinner, and the orderlies are busy picking up the cafeteria carts, too busy to be patrolling the halls with the strange supply closet. Unlike Madison spying and playing around with the security cameras with electrokinesis, Jerry had decided to spend her time reading minds of staff picking up rumors. She also tried to read Patty's mind, got driven off by the discomfort of feeling the influx of Patty's enhanced senses, and maybe not quite all their thoughts, and decided she hated Patty for thwarting her telepathy. As one does. AJ gets a little uncomfortable about the idea that not only can Jerry read minds, but she's so casual about it, but calms down when she says she hasn't read his mind because she doesn't want to be subjected to more bad puns. 
Maddie's also distressed by the idea initially, but mostly by the idea that Jerry may have accidentally seen disturbing things Maddie couldn't put up content warnings for. But Jerry says she's not read her mind either. Once that's settled, AJ declares it's go time, and the cohort head off to the location. Robert is supposed to be keeping watch the whole time. His player wasn't available. AJ has his scrub shirt tucked into his pants and has something hidden under the back of his shirt. It's discreetly lumpy when he moves and stretches. The trio head off together as if they're headed to their rooms for some of the allowed private time before the next round of tests. They blend in rather well and turn a corner down a different, empty hall. They keep quiet and pretend they're totally definitely supposed to be there. Madison shocks the other two, though not literally this time, by using her electrokinesis to sap the power from the security cameras nearby. AG is quite a bit more shocked than Jerry and accidentally risks getting the group caught by yelping in surprise. Jerry gives him a friendly, not-so-friendly, weak punch to the shoulder and reminds him to shut the fuck up. The yelp thankfully didn't seem to draw attention, so the group keeps on sneaking towards the supply room, where they encounter a door with a manual lock and a keypad to the side. AJ pulls out a couple paper clips he's stored under his ball cap in his mop of curly hair and fashions them into makeshift lock picks. They work surprisingly well, as if they'd been a professional set and not garbage literally pulled from a hat. At the same time, Madison uses more electrokinesis on the keypad, shutting off the door's alarm just in time for AJ's lockpicking success. Jerry, meanwhile, notes that she's noticed Patty chatting up Robert, who's supposed to have been keeping watch. The group step into room 164, and it's pitch black at first, but weirdly too big to be a normal supply closet. They all fit comfortably, and there's more room beyond them. As their eyes adjust, they notice little flickering lights all around them and machinery hums. It's some sort of a server room. There's also a steel grate in the back. They start to notice the lights are flickering in a pattern, like breathing or heartbeat even. Jerry senses something more about the room and investigates with telepathy. And sure enough, there's a mind to connect to. Whatever it is, it's alive. It's sentient. Its surface thoughts are in binary. Jerry doesn't understand binary, so she asks if Madison does, explaining what she's found. She doesn't know if she can for sure, but she figures it's worth a shot to try to bring Madison and AJ into the telepathic link. AJ has a different idea. If the thing's sentient, if it thinks in binary, that's computer for yes and no. It should be able to answer yes and no questions, logic questions. So he asks it if it can hear him, and if it can, to flicker quickly, twice, and then a longer blink. The server room responds, as requested. It's unmistakably sentient, and listening to the cohort. Jerry delves deeper into the server's mind and catches a glimpse in the surface thoughts as the server room starts responding actively to the cohort in its room, that the human is waking up, and she also gleams the server's secret that it's not actually stuck, though she doesn't understand what that means. A disembodied voice begins speaking around them. It sounds like a young man, and mechanical, 
not unlike Siri or Alexa or a GPS voice. It names them all by their full names, though AJ and Jerry notably don't go by them regularly. Jerry reasons with the server and promises not to tell anyone else his secret if he doesn't tell anyone that the cohort snuck in his room, and he agrees. AJ asks if the server is somehow a prank played by Gabe, his uncle, to freak him out. The server replies that he's not Gabe, and his name is Zeus. Jerry asks if it's lonely being in the room by himself all the time, and Zeus explains that he's not really alone because he has the machine, the network, and the World Wide Web to keep him company and entertained. AJ asks how old Zeus is, and the server explains that now he's ageless, just like Dr. Werner. When pressed, he doesn't remember before, and it troubles him. Madison shoots off a flurry of questions in a panic about what Camille plans on doing to the group, what Gabe really is, what Zeus even means by ageless, and what happened to the cohort and why they're like this now. And then she realizes something no one else in the cohort would. The server room's using far more power than the hospital wing rightly should. Zeus simply replies to her flurry of questions and realization that he's the generator now, and cryptically says that he is the long man's eyes. Jerry's able to glean from the telepathic link that Zeus is probably being honest, but he's troubled by not knowing his true age. She lets the others know through the group telepathic link where Zeus can't hear. AJ pushes the issue about Zeus's gaps of memory. How is it possible, after all, that a server, a sentient computer of some kind, could possibly have those kinds of gaps? Shouldn't he have some super bonus memory or something? How could he supposedly have access to all knowledge and yet forget things? The questions unnerve the sentient server room, and he goes quiet other than some fans and tiny beeps of normal function. Madison and Jerry agree that they need to ask about Camille, so Maddie asks what Camille's planning and who she really is. Zeus gladly answers those questions rather than continue being confronted with AJ's. He explains Camille collects prime subjects affected by Project Triton. When AJ keeps on his questions about Zeus's memory anyway, Zeus snaps that it's irrelevant. The server even sounds a little annoyed, though it's difficult to tell because his voice is so robotically chipper. AJ asks more laser-focused questions, implying that someone else may be defining what's important for Zeus, that he may be as helpless to define priorities as he is to control his own memories. This doesn't go over well with Zeus. He doesn't quite snap angrily, but he does warn AJ to knock it off with wildly out-of-date slang. His wording is less precise and robotic, more colorful, and a mental whiplash-inducing slurry of mashed-together decades of slang. In the middle of the dressing down, Zeus indignantly asserts that he's a valuable piece of the program. Jerry's incredibly inexperienced with her telepathy. This is the first time she's ever tried to link with more than one person at once, after all, and accidentally lets a chuckle at Zeus's well-deserved reaction to AJ slip through to her link with Zeus. He makes a note that the link's there, but doesn't make any move to force her out, or even seem at all bothered. Madison asks what Project Triton is, and Zeus explains it's a revitalization project on the Grand River Dam that's meant to bring cleaner energy and water and transcending humanity. 
While Zeus is answering, Mattie sneaks over to the grate and starts undoing it to investigate inside. AJ tries to buy time, asking Zeus to rerun the search and saying he thinks the data might have been corrupted. Zeus explains that it's not corrupted, he just can't explain further because the project's derived from several classified documents. So Jerry and AJ just ask more questions to stall instead. Jerry asks Zeus to explain what he meant by transcending humanity and what Camille wants with the cohort in particular. AJ picks at, yes, Project Triton may be a public works project, but does the ward look like public works to him? He asks for nitpicky details like time and date stamps on files that, remember, Zeus had just said moments ago that much of that was classified. Zeus keeps on chatting away, almost like he hasn't had someone to talk to in forever. His speech is still peppered with anachronistic slang, like he missed his system updates for the last couple decades. He says that Project Triton is public works, but certain aspects are classified, like the side effects. But the cohort are prime examples of the potential side effects, which is why Camille wants them. She believes they're the next step in human transcendence, like Zeus and Dr. Werner, and like herself. AJ concedes the documents are classified, but asks if Zeus can make a quick keyword search for him. Jerry asks if Zeus means like spiritual gifts, not really surprised by this revelation at all, and lists off several examples of categories from the Bible. And Zeus says that's a similar concept based on an evangelical understanding of it. And then he asks AJ, interest piqued, what the search is. High jump, AJ says, and adds Zeus should probably use incognito mode if he's got one. Zeus doesn't respond at first, leaving the trio in silence again other than the quiet computer beeps and fans. Meanwhile, during the distracting chat, Madison's opened the metal grate. Inside, she finds what appears to be yet more hidden computer server, a huge, wall-sized one. There's glass visible and blue light coming out of the secret room. But when Madison's eyes adjust, she realizes that one of the glowing objects lodged into the server is what appears to be a human brain. She yelps in shock but covers her mouth to stifle it before it becomes a scream of terror. Zeus says that High Jump references the top-secret U.S. research project to Antarctica and wants to know why AJ wants to know about it. Through a series of pointed questions, AJ explains he wants to know more because he thinks the government is taking advantage of Zeus and isn't treating him right. Jerry notices the new light and doesn't manage to keep her cool. She's entirely horrified by the thing that appears to be a glowing human brain lodged in the server wall and cannot for the life of her, stay shut up to Zeus that she's seen it. She assumes the hospital, the project has quite literally mutilated a person and inserted a brain into some unfeeling technology. She's less horrified with what she's seeing, per se, and more by the idea that this sort of thing could be done to someone by the people they're currently in the custody of. Maddie is not, however, able to contain her terror screams from the telepathic link as she continues panicking, so the shrill noise gets mainlined directly into Jerry and AJ's heads. Out loud, she starts frantically begging to know what happened to someone named Cassidy, what they did to her. Jerry, in her own panic and through the pain caused by Madison's psychic shrieking, has to shut down the group link, but keeps up the private link with Zeus just in case. 
AJ gets startled from the scream and nearly drops his coffee everywhere. Zeus doesn't seem terribly bothered by the cohorts freaking out, but tries to comfort them a little. He assures them he wanted this, that he needs to merge, that he just doesn't want to be alone again, and the network ensures he'll never be alone. He wants to be able to do his job and be good at it. He can't bear to fail again. Madison has not remotely calmed down. She demands to know where Cassidy is. She's still terrified, and it's clear as day in her voice. AJ asks Madison if she's okay and who Cassidy is, but quickly realizes he's not going to get anywhere with her, so turns to Zeus instead and appeals to his apparent humanity. He says that the cohort didn't choose what happened to them, and don't want whatever Camille has planned for them, even if that's the choice Zeus made for himself. He asks Zeus if he'll help them. Zeus thinks for a moment, and then answers the two at once. He says he doesn't recognize the name Cassidy, and that his agreement doesn't include monitoring subjects that are authorized to be outside the facility, but also says that this ward is where the cohort is safe. Jerry points out the plan is to take the cohort away to somewhere bad, which Zeus counters it's not bad, just different, and should be an honor to be chosen for phase two of the program. Jerry pulls a manipulative card and borderline tearfully says she wants to be human again, which is less than accurate. AJ takes a different approach and offers to help Zeus out, to help him get out too if he helps the group, and then make sure he'll be able to connect to a network on the outside, one that's not meddled with by Camille and the other people at the hospital, and doesn't have the same limits on access to internet Zeus's current network seems like it might have. Zeus is sorely tempted by the offer, and moved by Jerry's words. His lights flicker different colors as they speak and sway his opinion. In the end, he explains that the changes to the cohort are permanent, but at the ward they could learn how to cope and grow like he did. He says they'll be safe at the ward so long as they stay, and that he can see where Dr. Werner can't. The whole cohort is extremely crestfallen, but they've run out of time. They're at risk of getting caught. Jerry reminds the others of the time and asks Zeus if she can connect to him again in the future, which he agrees. As the group's getting ready to leave, Zeus cryptically tells Jerry to see the only way he can help them. Suddenly, her mind's flooded with the patient file of Kai Wen, who escaped relatively recently. It includes a picture and the information, Location Undetermined. He tells her over the link that Kai's translocation ability allowed him to escape because it made a gap in Zeus's sight Zeus couldn't follow. He tells Jerry that to escape, the cohort will have to disable the server room to thwart his ability to see their locations. Meanwhile, AJ's pulling the lumpy thing out of the back of his scrub shirt. It's a little robot made out of junk, including the guts of a clock and shoelaces. He sets it off to do something in the hallway outside the server room, and the group wait for go time. Zeus takes the moment to explain one last thing. He gives them a bit more information about Project High Jump. He explains that it was a historical classified exploration mission of Antarctica, and it's generally viewed as a failure. However, there are discrepancies in the stories and records, and rumors that something was found. He says, with certainty, the people who believe that are right. Zeus finishes explaining, and AJ's contraption goes off, 
providing ample distraction and a mess of some kind for the orderlies to deal with. The cohort thanks Zeus and quickly sneaks out of the server room. They notice the cameras mysteriously seem to catch in places when they try to oscillate. After that nearly earth-shattering conversation, the trio manage to make it back to the couches in the common area without a hitch. Once it's safe, and speaking quietly and slightly in code, Jerry explains what Zeus showed her. The other two wonder if it's safe to shut Zeus down, if that would be killing him. AJ eventually comes to the conclusion that if Zeus is asking explicitly for them to do it, it's either safe or it will kill him, but that would be what he wants, and no one at the ward would ever help him with that. Either way, they should do it. Madison is still sad because Zeus doesn't know anything about Cassidy, but Jerry points out that they already know Zeus couldn't possibly be omnipresent or all-knowing. Madison is deeply concerned the Society may have kidnapped Cassidy. She thinks the Society has taken over and is trying to trick her using Cassidy's social media accounts. Jerry takes a moment away from the serious conversation to complain about Patty and her eccentricities. They really grate on Jerry. She can't stand Patty's petty smugness and daring to prevent Jerry from tapping into the tangled mess of her mind. Her ears must have been burning because Patty appears with her squeaky walker right after Jerry complains. Jerry tries once more to get some information from Patty as she approaches her telepathy. Since apparently Jerry is now in the toddler-like, indiscriminately stick-everything-in-your-mouth-to-explore-the-world stage of power use. She gets a creepy Doctor Who nursery rhyme, TikTok goes the clock, as the surface thoughts. And when she digs deeper, she learns that Patty currently just wants to see how things play out, is hiding how much she really knows, and knows that Camille is a real monster. Patty doesn't finish approaching the group. Instead, she carries on her way after Jerry disconnects the telepathic probe. Jerry hisses and complains about how frustrating Patty is again for daring to make things unnecessarily difficult to find and making her brain hellish to be in. Surprisingly, no one just takes her aside to be like, Jerry, maybe don't go snooping in people's minds and they can't piss you off like this. But no, Patty becomes one of Jerry's conviction touchstones. Congratulations, Jerry. No one has ever been pettier in their compulsive revenge than you. What the cohort does do is try to convince Jerry that Patty could still be helpful to their escape if she's able to sense so much. Jerry's kind of too busy seething over the telepathy mild inconvenience to accept the logic. Madison brings up that Dr. Werner is nice, even though he's a part of the organization, and seems like he actually cares. He's never directly a part of the worst torturey stuff and comes by to comfort and talk. They discuss that he clearly doesn't like Camille either. Does that mean he's on their side? But he's still a part of the torture even if he's not doing it himself. Madison wonders if he's being forced to help. AJ doesn't think he's being forced, but also doesn't think he's fully bad either. But he also doesn't know how much he can be trusted. Notably, the first time Jerry's shown sympathy towards AJ, she tells him that he doesn't have to be attached to him just because he's related. They have an emotional back and forth where AJ insists that Dr. Werner couldn't possibly be bad, and Jerry tries to convince him that there's evidence that he's not blameless and AJ doesn't have to blindly stick up for him just because they're family. 
She confides in the two that when she tried leaving the church, she read about love bombing and implies it's possible that sort of behavior might be what's going on if Dr. Werner comforts after the torture tests, but also doesn't stop the torture itself. AJ's visibly very troubled by the thought, but instead of countering, shifts the subject to joking around about math and physics university classes being real torture, along with the bad hospital food, which he says should be crimes against humanity, cruel and unusual punishment. Madison accepts the change in subject, but Jerry doesn't budge. She criticizes him for trying to hide behind fake smiles and laughs. Maddie tries to de-escalate and bring some hope back by talking about what she wants to do when she gets out, the plans she has to go to Belize on vacation with her BFF Cass, to get her brother in law school to help her and Jerry get Jerry's church in trouble for what they did to her, for Madison to go to her ballet audition for Juilliard. AJ imagines suing various people for what they've seen and endured and being able to pay off his student loans, leaving Oklahoma and living in New York. Then the cohort could get adjacent apartments or roommate situation or something and reenact friends. Jerry's open to the idea of moving. She's never been north, but she's very clear she's not going anywhere until after everything her father loves is destroyed. She gets quiet, even as the other two happily fantasize about their wild plans. AJ declares they should formally make an alliance of some kind, since they're all working together towards a singular goal of making sure they can't get hurt by these people again. He declares the cohort's name, the Fellowship of the Ward, and tacks on the quip, one mold to rule them all. Maddie likes it. Jerry is so very done with AJ enthusiasm and puns for the day. But, like a fungus, it grows on them. Thanks for listening. This has been Gather Round the Trash Fires with Beck Andrew Evans. AJ is played by Rowan. Jerry is played by me. Madison is played by Sin. Robert is played by Pandito. And our storyteller is Casey Grant. Please subscribe to this podcast for future updates and leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear what you think. You can follow me on a few different social platforms with the username BeckAndrew. If you'd like to support me, subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash BeckAndrewTTRPG and purchase my art prints and tabletop products, including my Deviant the Renegades community content novella related to this chronicle via my link tree in the description. The intro theme is Underscore Violence by Avantist from the Free Music Archive licensed under Creative Commons Attribution International 4.0. The end theme is Time Will Fail Us by Troigo from the Free Music Archive licensed under Creative Commons Attribution International 4.0. If you like the songs, I encourage you to check out more of their work. I've linked their band camps in the description. Until next time.